This time you did God knows when But you're doing it again You better duck down the alleyway Looking for a new friend A man in a coonskin cap In a pig pen Wants eleven dollar bills You only got ten to repeat subterranean homesick blues we're coming at you today from mutiny radio it's mutiny time labor and love radio how about this one anniversary we're celebrating today this song is a song i wrote when i was in italy and it is one part of a three-part song that was written for the movie Sacco and Vanzetti. They were probably our most famous political prisoners in this country. We got the royal treatment, so to speak. <laughs> and all of the words are taken from letters from Vanzetti. Silence is shame 
the law with its immensity of strength and power Against the scissor law Police know how to make a man a guilty or an innocent Against the scissor power of police The shameless lies that men have told will evermore be paid in gold Against us is the racial hatred and the simple fact that we're I love my innocence, the workers and the poor For all of this I'm safe and strong and hope is mine Rebellion, revolution don't need dollars, they need this instead Imagination, suffering, light and love and care for every human being You never steal you never kill you are a part of hope and life the revolution goes from man to man and heart to heart and i sense when i look at the stars that we are children of life death is This song is a song I wrote when I was in He's spreading over it all. The guy who knows everything knows where the hush money was paid, knows how much he paid in taxes. He just doesn't want us to. Yeah. 
got Ali Akbar Khan playing our background for us today. This is the B, and this is Labor and Love Radio, front and center, coming to you from 2781 21st Street, a.k.a. Mutiny Radio. What is Mutiny Radio? Mutiny Radio is a community center where artists display and perform their work. Up-and-coming artists, people who are beginning, people who are trying it out. We have a whole series of comedy shows where you can come and try out your chops and have constructive criticism so you can get better. Uh, It's an art center where we have every month independent artists display their work. It's a radio station. MutinyRadio.fm Independent radio. I mean, truly independent. Not paid for by anyone except the DJs and our sponsors. And those sponsors in no way affect the content of our shows. Where else could you hear a show like Labor and Love Radio or some of the other shows that we have on? It's free radio. It's independent radio. So come on in, get trained, become a DJ. We got lots of open slots. Okay, and the Labor and Love show every Saturday morning, we tell you how it is. 10 to 12 a.m. 10 a.m. to 12 noon. First, we tell you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, that means someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Second of all, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. Tell that to those anti-union people. And they try to tell you to opt out of paying your union dues because now you finally can. Yes, you can opt out. And they still have to represent you. Uh, oh, except if enough of you drop out, there'll be no union. There'll be no voice at the table for workers. And the last thing we tell you is never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor could be disastrous. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is Labor and Love Radio where the labor meets the road. We started out there with going back to our roots, actually. This song used to be, you know, our introductory song for months and months. Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. A raw rock and roll sound. People say it's a proto-rap. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it's a... That and rap are similar styles. Different pedigree. Then Joan Baez, Dylan's partner for a while, sang... The Ballad of Sacco and Vanzetti, because today we're going to celebrate or acknowledge or discuss the case of Sacco and Vanzetti 
and the strain of anti-immigrant violence and bias there is in this land of the free home of the brave. Okay. Sacco and Vanzetti. We're also going to hear from the great Russian poet, Yevgenyin Yevtushenko, and his poem, Babi Yar, which is about all forms of bias and prejudice. I'm going to try that one on. Ever hear the war prayer? Mark Twain, one of our most important artists, everyone agrees, American artists, several people think his book, uh, Huckleberry Finn, is the greatest American novel. Twain was also an active anti-imperialist. And... um, One of the big campaigns he was involved in was against U.S. involvement in the Philippines. It was kind of like a Vietnam of the time where we were going to go in and settle everything and get out. Never happened. Never happened. The U.S. presence in the Philippines is still very profound. Anyway, Twain wrote what he called his war prayer about a preacher who asked God to bless, in this case, the American soldiers. See what Twain had to say about that. Working class history, well, as I said, on this day, 27 August 1927, Sacco and Vanzetti were executed by electric chair for a murder which neither committed. A real perpetrator had even admitted to the to the crime. <laughs> the Daily Blab, Sacco and Vanzetti, teacher strikes in Washington, Francesca Ramsey, with her comment on can de-escalation training prevent police violence? Doesn't look like it. Doesn't doesn't look like we're, we're approaching the whole police thing from the wrong direction, I think. We'll talk a little more about that. Radio labor, important limits on new on World Bank rules for workers. Looking at Labor and Love Radio, teacher strikes in the red states. How did right to work go down in flames in Missouri? Bobby Yard. Okay, I want to get to this one. I want to hear this, uh, Yevtushenko. First of all, let's let's preface it by saying Bobby Yard was a height, the site of massacres by German invaders and their Ukrainian sidekicks during World War II, where Jews, a lot of Jews were murdered. And Yevtushenko, great Russian poet of the Soviet era, 
wrote about that. Let's hear what he's got to say. Over Babi Yar, there stand no monuments. Nazi occupation forces executed 33,000 Jews September 29th and 30th, 1941. Russian poet Yevtushenko's Babi Yar was an indictment of anti-Semitism. It was published lifting a 20-year silence, published in 1961. In 1962, inspired by these words, Dmitry Shostakovich wrote a concerto called Babi Yar. Let's see it. I'm very curious about this. Бабьим яром памятников нет, Крутой обрыв, как гру... No monument stands over Баби Яр, A drop sheer as a crude gravestone, I am afraid today I am as old in years as all the Jewish people. Now I seem to be a Jew. Here I plot through ancient Egypt. Here I perish crucified on the cross. And to this day I bear the scars of nails. I seem to be Dreyfus. The Philistine is both informer and judge. I'm behind bars, beset in every side, hounded, spat on, slandered, squealing, dainty ladies in flounced, Brussels slays, stick their parasols into my face. Мне кажется, я мальчик. I seem to be then. Young boy, young boy in Bellastock. Blood runs, spilling over the floors. The bar room, rubble rousers give off a stench of vodka and onion. A boot kicks me aside. Helpless, in vain I plead with these pogrom bullies while they jeer and shout, Beat Save Russia! Some grain marketeer rapes my mother. Oh, my Russian people, I know you are international to the core, but thus these unclean hands have often made a jingle of your purest name. 
I know the goodness of my land. How vile these anti-Semites without a comb, they pompously called themselves the Union of Russian people. I seem to be unfrank, transparent as a branch in April, and I love and have no need of phrases. My need is that we gaze into each other, how little we can see or smell. We are denied the leaves, we are denied the sky, yet we can do so much, tenderly embrace each other in a darkened room. They are coming here, be not afraid. Those are the boom sounds of spring. Spring is coming here. Come then to me, quick. Give me your lips. Are they smashing the door? No, no. It's the ice breaking. The wild grasses rustle over Bobby Yard. The trees look ominous like judges. Here all sings, screams silently, and burying my head, slowly I feel myself turning gray. And I, myself, I'm on massive soundless scream above the thousand thousand buried here. I, I am, am each old man, man here shot dead. I am every child here shot dead. Nothing in me shall ever forget. The international let it thunder when the last anti-Semite on the earth is buried forever. In my blood, there is no Jewish blood. In their callous rage, all anti-Semites must hate me now as a Jew. For that reason, I am a true Russian. И потому я настоящий русский. Евгений Евтешенко with his great poem Babi Yar about prejudice, basically. In this case, the prejudice in Russia against Jews and looking for a way to kind of deal with what happened at Babi Yar. Anyway, Evgeniev Tyshenko. I've just been um, thinking a lot about... Uh, Unions, anti-union movement. The right wing seems to want to do anything they can to get rid of unions. And of course, they also want to get rid of 
any uh, political party that is against, that wants to limit the corporate power, the corporate state power, whatever we want to call it, the people who are able to dictate to you, to tell you how to spend your time every day. To You have to spend your time by working every day, working at a job so that you can survive. I'm thinking, okay, why, are, why is it, does it always go together? For example, when the union movement is under attack, women's organizations are under attack, any kind of uh, alternative uh, initiatives are under attack. And why is that? Like, why would they attack uh, the Black Panthers and unions and uh, LBGTQ people, you know, their organizations? Because we are in a class war. Any organization that's established and maintained by working people that is not the corporate power and dedicated to the benefit of working people will be attacked because that makes working people stronger. That brings us one step closer to the day when working people will overthrow that power and refuse to go to work, refuse to pay their debts refuse to engage in in half alliances with the corporate power and then the corporate power will fade away what it'll be replaced with is another question so any kind of organization outside of the corporate power will be attacked will be vilified They'll make up lies about it, like unions are bankrupting us. No, it's not unions that are bankrupting us. It's those fat golden parachutes. It's those huge, swollen corporate wage, corporate pay and bonuses. It's all that profit that's taken out between the moment of production and the moment of sale. All kinds of things come out. And one of them is corporate profit. What happened to that? <coughs> Pardon me. What happens to that corporate profit? It goes to uh, pay board members. It goes to maintain, you know, the whole, the whole uh, structure, the whole corporate structure. Any kind of unions, any kind of things like that will be attacked. So what, what that implies is that we have to unite. That people have to realize that it's all about fighting the corporate power. Not just teachers, not just young people of color, not just, you know, women. We're all together. The enemy's the same. Once we realize that, then the days of the corporate power as we know it are gone.
Anyway, some insights on why unions are so much under attack. Okay, let's play some songs, then we'll get on to Mark Twain. I really want to play that one. Here's when Nixon went to Venezuela. Venezuela's been in the news in the 50s. Vice President Nixon. Uh, if I should win the nomination, I will win, yes. Uh, and if I become a candidate, I believe I will be nominated. Naturally, uh, that's a self-serving statement and intended to be so. Uh, but, but you can... Uh, but but I, I am convinced that the man who, event, who survived... Nixon, he hung out with Eisenhower too long. My... Mental dictionary and my own thoughts are not not as well coordinated as they were once. Eisenhower, he never took his clothes off. I can never. He never went to the toilet. He just stood there. Those who have lost elections in the past have come back to win. I hope to come back to win. That's why he'll never make it. You know that in your heart, he can't make it. I can win. Can I win? Uh, I hope to win. I must demonstrate. I must hope to come back to win. But I can win. I can do the job. Seal, send in Nixon. <laughs> Hello, Nick, sweetie. Sit down, baby. Ah, oh, has he cute? Has a black curly head, devil? Uh, get some of that twelve-year-old scotch over here, little Havana, huh, baby? Uh, sweetie, what's going on here? Don't put me on. <laughs> Nobody's putting you on, no? How'd you like to go to Lebanon? <laughs> Why don't you stop? Like, I don't want to go on any more trips. <laughs> you did great in Caracas. They hated me there. They spit at me. They hate me. They threw rocks at me. A few squares who didn't take your rabble rouses. I don't want to go anyway. Create a monster. Is that what I did? The boy I helped capture teeth. I don't want to be ungrateful or anything like that. I just I don't I don't. You know, if I did good in one place, you know. You did good in Biloxi. I don't want to go. Why? They just don't like me, that's all. It's something about my hair, I think. Want me to tell you the truth? What? They liked you at your old lady, Pat. That's it. Everybody dug you. It's her. She overdresses. Besides, who brings their wife on a trip? You'll go. You're not even going to fly tourists this time.
government had an idea and parliament made it law Seems like it's illegal to fight for the union anymore And which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? Set off to join the picket lines, but together we cannot fail. We got stopped by police at the county line. They said, Go on, boys, or you'll go into jail. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? It's hard to explain to a crying child why her daddy won't go back So the family suffer but it hurts me more to hear a scab say sod you jack Which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? To follow my conscience And I'll do whatever I can And it'll take much more than a union law To knock the fight out of a working man And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Under the Coronado Bridge in San Diego 
is known to people everywhere as Chicano Park. Órale, raza, vamos al parque. Yeah. It began in 1970 under the Coronado Bridge in mi barrio in San Diego.
vivan los barrios unidos que vivan que vivan los barrios unidos que vivan que vivan los barrios unidos que vivan que vivan all right let's go for one more Working man, Ben Morrison. Oh, the smell of the bakery from across the street. Got in my nose. Yeah. Down the street with the Rod Iron Cape Rose. I went home and listened to Jimmy Rogers in my lunch break. Bought five wood vines at the shop on the corner and went straight back to work. At the shop and broke the tea. That's it. I collected from the lady and I cleaned the fan light inside out. I was blowing saxophone on the weekend in a down joint. Number 36.
number 126. I will be right tomorrow. I just burned a tanner a three deep bit in the windowsill here. That was um, Van Morrison talking about his days when he was uh, washing windows. A working man in my prime, cleaning windows. Before that, we had Chicano Park by Los Alecranes, the Scorpions, a famous park in San Diego that was taken over by members of the Chicano movement and transformed into a community park. Uh, I know a couple of people who were really involved in that. And as I was saying, any attempt to do to uh, make independent, uh, an independent movement, independent institutions. This was an act of nationalism, taking over a park. Must be met with opposition. That's why the government spent so much money gutting the popular political movements of the 60s and 70s. Black Panthers, the Brown Berets, and the wider application of those movements. Anyway, go down, when you go to San Diego, go down to Chicano Park. Just stand there, look around, think about the story that goes with it. And then we had Lenny Bruce, the great Lenny Bruce, and the Donald Trump of his time, Richard Nixon talking about Nixon's trips to Venezuela where he was stoned as a as a representative of the United States his motorcade was stoned and uh, had to be interrupted I want to get now to the war prayer want to get uh, get now to the war prayer <clears throat> little history goes along with this one the united states uh, in the 1870s and 80s was a powerhouse a capitalist powerhouse these are the the gilded age the only time in american history with inequality anything like approaching today's uh, inequality and uh, by the 1890s, this was the great age of American expansion. This is when the corporate interests went out into the world looking for markets, looking for colonial relationships with countries that had a lot of natural resources. And... Uh, the United States expanded, got into kind of a a little war with Spain and uh, 
in Cuba, beat the, beat the Spanish army there. The story of Theodore Roosevelt and the Rough Riders is part of that saga. They sent a uh, fleet under the command of one Admiral Dewey to the Philippines to supposedly help a Philippine insurrection movement, a native Philippine insurrection movement against the Spanish, uh, led by a man named Aguinaldo. And the U.S. presence was enough to defeat the Spanish. But when it came time for the reins of government to be passed, the U.S. took over the running of the Philippines and turned Aguinaldo into a criminal. So there was a a long and very bitter war. Some say a million Philippine, Philippine nationals were killed in the war. There were some frightful slaughters. It was a lot like Vietnam where the U.S. soldier went overseas and found out that he really didn't have a conscience. That once you were out there, just like the colonials of earlier ages, you could do anything. And after a particularly um, bloody massacre, President Roosevelt, Theodore, sent a note to the American commander, a man named Leonard Wood, saying... Uh, congratulations on your wonderful feat of arms and uh, defeating the enemy. Well, the enemy was Filipino farmers and Filipino patriots who were fighting for their own country. So there was a very strong movement in the United States against such expansion. A lot of it was based on the idea that, well, hey, we just don't do this. We're the United States. But the commercial interests were looking at China, at all those consumers, the Eastern market. Was it this time that the U.S. took over the Hawaiian Islands in a very blatant kind of land theft? One day you bring in the Marines and you say, the queen is no longer the queen. We're running the country. And we're going to uh, write a constitution. Judge Dole, these were pineapple and sugar planters who were getting rich. C&H, sugar. At any rate, there was a very strong anti-imperialist movement that sort of flew in the face of it. This was a time when We were gingering people up to go to war, to fight for freedom, to fight to uh, liberate these poor benighted uh, colored people and bring them the, uh, the benefits of Christianity, hello, Christianity, as well as all of one piece, a working way of life, capitalist way of life where you have to work or else you die you don't survive one of the leaders of the anti-imperialist movement one of course was William Jennings Bryan the uh, great democratic uh, well candidate I guess 
you'd call him. A great speaker. A man who quit his job as Secretary of State in 1915 because he felt that President Wilson was not was not sincere about wanting peace in the world. World War I had already started in Europe. Anyway, another one of the leaders was Mark Twain, author of one of the greatest, some of the greatest American stories, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, particular favorite of mine called Life on the Mississippi. Anyway, Here's the story of Mark Twain and the war prayer. What does it mean when you pray for your side to win the war? Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 29 and the land shall tremble and sorrow for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant 34 years ago at a place called Appomattox we rejoiced we said the dreadful woes of war are done. Alas, my friends, it was not to be so. Once again, the scabbard must be buckled on and then the blade still shining, drawn again. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Pray for victory. Gracious God, who gave your own precious Son that we might have eternal life, hear us now as we send our sons and our neighbor's sons forth to do battle for his sake and in thy name. Ever merciful Father, Stranger we ask church. that you will comfort them in the watches of the night. Takes off his hat, listens to the sermon. That you will bless and shield them on the dawn of battle. And that in their hour of peril you will bear them safely to victory in thy mighty hand. O oh, armorer of righteousness, make them to be bold and full of confidence. Render them invincible in the bloody onset. Help them to crush the foe and trample underfoot the enemies of thy grace, that there shall not remain untoppled a single stone in Babylon. O King of glory, we beseech thee to sanctify their glorious cause and vouchsafe to them imperishable honor. Bless their arms. 
Grant us the victory, O Lord our God, Father and protector of our land and our flag. Amen. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The stranger stands up in front of the congregation. I come from the throne, bearing a message from Almighty God. He has heard the prayer of his servant, your shepherd, and will grant it if such shall be your desire. After I, his messenger, have explained to you its import. Its full import. For it is like unto many of the prayers of men, in that it asks for more than he who utters it is aware of. Because it is in truth two prayers. And you have only heard that one which was uttered. I am commissioned by Almighty God to put into words that part of the prayer which your pastor and you yourselves in your hearts fervently prayed silently and ignorantly and unthinkingly. God warranted me so. You've heard the words, grant us the victory, O Lord, our God. When you prayed for victory, you prayed for many unmentioned results which follow victory. Must follow it, cannot help but follow it. Upon the listening spirit of the Father fell also the unuttered part of the prayer. Listen. O oh Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth to battle, be thou near them. With them in spirit, we also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. O Lord, our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded writhing in pain. Help us to Lay waste their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out, ruthless with their children, to wander unfriended the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst, sport of the sudden flames of summer and the icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and denied it. For our sakes who adore thee, 
Blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask it in the spirit of love of him who is the source of love and who is the ever faithful refuge and friend of all who are sore beset and who seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts. still desire it, speak. The messenger of the Most High waits. for this poor, deluded man. This lunatic. Now, shall we sing together? That was the war prayer by a, by a, a group of people who had put on a story called The Private History of the Campaign That Failed over PBS in Nebraska. <clears throat> and uh, the war prayer is Mark Twain's read on imperial war. If you're praying for victory, you're also praying for the destruction, complete destruction of your enemy. And it's true. When we pray for victory, we pray for utter destruction. We pray for utter destruction. Okay. This is radio this is labor and love radio. 
take a little break here and we'll be back afterward with Sacco and Vanzetti. gone through all the professional training of a historian. I had a PhD from Columbia University and I had never encountered in any of my classes anywhere as an undergraduate or graduate the name of Emma Goldner. That tells you something about historical education. Goldman was not being taught and so I decided my students uh, but they, they published a book uh, called Nowhere at Home which uh, are the letters that that uh, Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman wrote to one another in well for those of you for those three of you uh, who don't uh, what she describes in her and in 1892 when the uh, so, um, Berkman goes to prison, actually spends 14 years in prison. In, in 1901, she became really 
Berkman came out which in Chicago, Ben Wright. That you know that that went on. So they were sent to prison. Uh, she and uh, and while you know while in exile, they. Uh, Emma Goldman was okay. Well, it looks like um, I've got the wrong CD. <laughs> I uh, at any rate, we'll find that find that next week. I've got a Sacco and Banzetti. Uh, film if you don't if you're unaware of whom of who Sacco and Vanzetti are um, they were two Italian immigrants in the 1920s at a time when there was a lot of opposition to the whole uh, corporate takeover of power and, and a, a real reaction against any kind of alternative movement for example, uh, which makes something which makes little sense. <laughs> IWW leaders were um, arrested. Eugene Debs was arrested for opposing the war, for opposing uh, World War I. Uh, in the aftermath of that, there was a reaction. There was an anarchist movement that set off some bombs in prominent places. And there was this kind of hysteria, anti-immigrant hysteria, which we're, we're experiencing right now. Okay, really. Uh, and these men were arrested. They happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong ethnicity and the wrong political beliefs. And they were railroaded. Uh, who knows if they got a fair trial or not? Probably not. and Bartolomeo Vanzetti were picked up by the police. Their arrest would set in motion one of the most infamous events in Italian-American history. Sacco and Vanzetti were out on a dark night gathering anarchist literature from the homes of their friends. There was all sorts of fear among the anarchists that another raid was coming. But Sacco and Vanzetti were being detained for a robbery and murder of two men that had taken place weeks earlier. Based on a tip, police believed the crime was the work of a gang of Italians. Sacco and Vanzetti both emigrated at the turn of the century, but didn't meet until years later after they became involved with a growing labor movement. Neither of them were anarchists when they arrived in the United States, and it was their experiences as workers and the way they saw other working people treated, that turned them to this most radical of political philosophies. Vanzetti came to America in 1908 with much of the dream of America being a place of prosperity and freedom, and of course he was, he was appalled by what he saw. He began to live on the street, and he began to do just simply the worst, harshest kind of labor. Vanzetti would later write, I arrived in America. I underwent all the sufferings, the disillusions and privations. Here I saw all the brutalities of life, all the injustice, the corruption in which humanity struggles tragically. 
Now indicted for first-degree murder, Sacco and Vanzetti stood trial in the summer of 1921. From the start, it was clear that the case was really about anarchy and about being Italian. Judge Webster Thayer, he was fanatically opposed to radicals, hated them with a passion. I mean, it's not just a question of a conservative judge. I mean, there's a visceral hatred on his part for these kind of people. And of course, the fact they're Italian just makes it all the worse. A man who was eventually on the jury, who was quoted as saying they ought to take every one of those damn Italians and hang them by their sensitive parts. The other thing that really hurt Sacco and Manzetti was during the trial, they were marched out of the jail every day, completely surrounded by police. They were marched through the streets, marched into the courtroom, and seated in a cage. So they looked to the jury like very dangerous men. So you've got a combination of the innate hostility towards Italians, because these are the kind of people who commit these crimes, right? And thereafter, it's this kind of a setup. In April of 1927, after a series of lengthy appeals, Sacco and Vanzetti were sentenced to death. To millions of workers, the verdict was symbolic of a greater injustice played out every day in the factories and mills of a newly industrialized world. Rallies and protesters filled the streets. When they were finally sentenced in 1927, then the largest cause celeb really that the world had ever seen. And all of that summer of 1927, there were strikes, there were protests, there were rallies for Sacco and Manzetti in every major capital around the world. They became celebrities at a time where celebrity culture was really beginning to take off. They blasted their pictures all over the place. But if you were an Italian, they were symbolic of ethnic prejudice. It symbolized from the point of view of not just radicals, in some cases, conservative people. They were outraged by the trial proceedings. This was just you know, a farce. At their final sing, Vanzetti delivered an impromptu statement. Vanzetti, who was always more cerebral, he steps into the chamber and he says, I have not been guilty of murder, I've been guilty of some sins perhaps, but never murder. He says, I couldn't even begin to say how we have suffered for things we did not do. I feel I'm also being convicted for things I am guilty of. I've been convicted as a radical and indeed I am a radical. I've been convicted as an Italian and indeed I am an Italian. And then he says, but I'm so convinced of being right that if I could be executed two times and be reborn two times, I would still live to do what I've done. There were tears in the audience. People were just stunned by what, what he'd said. On August 23, 1926, Sacco I, then Vanzetti, were electrocuted. Their names and their likenesses are forever linked in history. Hundreds of thousands of people came out for the funeral procession as their bodies were paraded through the streets of Boston. To many, they were martyrs. But to millions of Italians, they saw in Sacco and Vanzetti a disturbing parable. I think clearly they saw this as the way in which Italians were regarded 
by this country, by the Anglo-Saxon dominant class, the disdain with which Italians were regarded. So it, I think it, it just reinforced the sense of you're an alien. You don't really belong here. You don't fit in here. I believe that almost every Italian-American from the day they were arrested until on into the 1960s at least heard the story at the kitchen table probably of Sacco and Vanzetti. It was a lesson. It was a lesson that probably only had to be repeated once. This is what happens or could happen to you as an Italian-American if you step out of line. The case of Sacco and Vanzetti, um, 1927, let's say uh, 91 years ago, today on August 25th, August 23rd, Sacco and Vanzetti were uh, executed despite an international uh, campaign to prevent or to grant them pardons. All right, let's turn to something that's happening right now. This is in uh, Evergreen, Washington. And all over the country, let's preface this, all over the country in states that you would consider red states, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Arizona, several others. Teachers, and these are right to work states. Right to work, of course, doesn't mean right to work. Right to work is one of the few inalienable rights you have <laughs> because they want you to work. A right to be exploited. Anyway, teachers are rising up with or without the, uh, the framework of a union. And they're rising up because their lives are being trashed by governments that keep cutting education budgets, figuring that, yeah, oh, well, teachers will make it up. And teachers do. Teachers do spend lots of money out of their own pockets. So this latest case is in Evergreen, Washington. And here's a a street reporter talking about what's happening. Uh-oh, let's start over again. We're not getting any sound. Still no decision yet. It's a packed house for the meeting, though, so there will be a lot of votes to count. Teachers in Battleground and the Vancouver School Districts voted to strike if a contract agreement isn't reached by the first day of school. In Longview, teachers began their strike today. They wore red and held signs demanding fair wages. That's what teachers in the Evergreen School District say they're asking for as well. We're losing people because they can't afford to stay teaching. With rising health care and the cost of housing um, and just general inflation overall, it's like our teachers have been losing money for years, and this is our chance to actually uh, get our educators a competitive professional pay that they deserve. In the offer that we've provided, it's it's up about 77000 and so we're actually using local levy money to supplement that as well. And so we're passing through every state dollar that we're getting and then adding some at the local level as well. 
Both sides are hopeful an agreement will be reached before the first day of school, but I'm told they aren't close to a resolution that makes everyone happy. Well, tonight we're still waiting for a decision. As soon as it comes in, we'll be sure to let you know. Back to you. Okay. Evergreen, Washington. Something, another one. There was an election in... Um, there was an election in... Missouri, where the whole question... Right to work. Right to work, meaning you don't join a union. There's no union involved in your job. You are at the mercy of your employer. Here's an article by Judy Ansell called Why Missouri Right to Work Went Down in Flames. And it's on uh, Labor Notes. For years I used to say that when you looked at a map of Midwest right to work states, Missouri stuck into them like a thumb plugging a hole in a wall leaking sludge. Then a flood of Trump votes netted us a hardcore anti-worker governor, Eric Greitens. The Republican-dominated legislature passed a right-to-work law almost immediately, and Greitens signed it in February 2017. But Missourians have an unusual constitutional right to a citizen's veto of unpopular laws. So unions began a petition drive to put it to a popular vote. On August 18, 2017, just 10 days before the right to work law was set to go into effect, labor turned in 310,000 signatures, three times the number required to place the referendum on the year's ballot. In a partisan move, legislative Republicans moved the vote up from November to the August 7th primary, hoping to suppress turnout. Their maneuver didn't work. An astounding 67% of voters rejected right to work. Labor's win in Missouri defies current wisdom about the decline of unions. We won with an even greater percentage of no votes than the celebrated 1978 defeat of right to work in Missouri despite the fact that union density has fallen by two-thirds since then. Amazingly, even if none of Missouri's quarter-million union members had voted, right to work would still have been defeated. Given the number of ballots cast in the Republican primary, at least a third of the no votes must have come from Republicans. Only four counties favored Clinton over Trump in the last presidential election. Yet 100 of Missouri's 115 counties voted no on right to work. So how did we achieve such a magnificent route of the billionaire anti-union agenda? The campaign didn't really start until May. It was statewide and primarily volunteer-driven. Though some paint paid canvassers were hired too. It was a very personal issue for a quarter million Missourians, said one volunteer. Took leave from a painter's union to work on the campaign. 
That's what turns so many voters out. Teams of union and community volunteers went out daily through merciless heat in July, talking to the same voters, sometimes two or three times. We were told not to lead with the term right to work. But when you asked people if they'd heard Proposition A, they said no. When you said right to work, the typical response was, oh, I'll vote no. We were even targeting likely primary voters who were open to our message. The campaign passed out 100,000 no on a yard signs. The other side say they lost because of the money. It's true that labor outraised them significantly, 18 million to 5 million. But that ignores the millions that pro-right-to-work outfits spent to buy the legislator in the 2016 election. And the Coke money, which didn't have to report because they never mentioned Prop A in several very expensive mailings. One deceptive postcard implies it was from a union. It featured a scruffy worker saying, right to work ensures that my union keep working hard to support me. Anyway. Read that, labor, and why. And, And when you think about it, maybe it's not true that... There's a huge group of workers who love Donald Trump and hate unions. Maybe they understand that unions are good for all people. Unions fight for all people. When a good union contract is signed, that raises the standards in in the whole industry. Case in point here is uh, Costco and uh, and Price Club, the two kind of uh, warehouse stores that kind of dominate the Bay Area. They were both run by this. They're not run by the same people, but by members of the same family. And eventually they merged, but because Price Club had a union and has a union, and Costco does not. Costco had to live up to union requirements, union contracts. So if you go and you ask somebody at Costco, have you got a union? They might say no, but uh, Price Club was unionized, so that keeps it better for everybody. Anyway, congratulations to the people in Missouri. Get on some music here. Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking. I think we'll go to one of our playlists. Nina Simone, go to hell. Your mind lies in the devil's workshop 
evil doings your thrill and trouble and mischief is all you live for you know done well and that you go to hell you go to hell so you live in high and mighty You pay for your sins Hell Keep your children from wrongdoing Cause you know who done well That they'll go to hell They'll go to hell I say hell Man and woman created Hell To live for eternity morning my wife said talk about the environment can you remember the times that you have held your head high and told all your friends of your Indian claim proud good lady Proud good man, your great great grandfather from Indian blood sprang, and you feel in your heart for these ones. Oh, it's written in books and in songs that we've been mistreated and wrong. Well, over and over, I hear the same words from you, good lady.
but it's still going on here today. The government now wants the for land, that of the Seneca and the Cheyenne. It's here and it's now, you must help us, dear man, now that the buffalo's gone. Play one more before we get out of here. It's kind of a a private message to uh, my wife Sylvia. We're gonna make it. You know these people walking around here talking about. The woman on the left of them, all that kind of okay and on. I don't see why that woman has to leave them. Mine's ain't left me yet. But I don't know how soon. Cause I keep that woman in my mind just as fat and healthy as she can be. She will do. You know, because I raise hogs, chickens, and cows and everything. And she better not act like she's hungry. Not as a cow did. And if she want a choke, I go out there and catch one of them chokes. And she have pork chops all the week. She will. And every time she get hungry, she get evil. You can't blame the girl, cause she's a country girl. Now my baby's a country girl And she just can't help herself Yes, my baby's a country girl And she just can't help herself
Country Girl there by the master of the blues piano, Chicago blues, Otis Spahn, longtime pianist in the Muddy Waters Band. Then before that, that was dedicated to my wife. Every time she get hungry, she get evil, but you can't blame the girl because she's a country girl, and so you are. Before that, we had Buffy St. Marie following my spouse's advice as I was going out the door she said talk about the environment well that song Buffy St. Marie now that the buffalo's gone if we look back on history and take a kind of a comprehensive view we find that the great transformation of people from farmers or workers on farms to Wage workers took place when there was a concerted effort to separate people from the land. Once you have land, you can grow your own food. You don't necessarily have to depend so much on this crazy, urban, debt-ridden culture. And uh, you had to move to a city. You had to go look for a job. Uh, the further away we get from the natural world, we're watching it die right now. The natural world is our home. And we've been separated from that by the forces of capitalism, by the need for cheap labor. Ah, okay, well, this is one of those days I could go on and on. But we had Buffy St. Marie singing about that in a kind of a fable way. Once... The American 
The white Americans figured out how to kill all the Indians by destroying their natural habitat, by destroying their way of life that way. That was based on living with nature. Then you can't live with nature, you, you're a wage worker. You have to go and beg somebody to exploit you. Please, exploit me. I'll work and you and you exploit me, but I'll get some of it too. Okay, it's about getting time for me to get out of here. Uh, hope everybody has a good week. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table where you live, where you work, you're probably on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the B signing off. Goodbye to the whole fam, the Vitas, the Solinas, the Nepos. You all know who you are. Thanks again to Cousin Denny. Hello to Charlie. Have a good week, everybody. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up a excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Jester Gashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For, <laughs> it's in duty, this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) What could it be? It's exactly what you think it is. Flat. Black. Plastic. Vinyl, records, round, played, mixed, all for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scott Walker, amazing artist, music DJ, vinyl enthusiast. 
that is flat black plastic. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... The Let's Watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. to be a comic it's not as easy as we make it look but that's because mutiny radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs strain those improv muscles every sunday from four to six at getting sketchy with david stolowitz press out those new jokes every monday six to eight on joke workshop with four minute sets and four minute critiques from everyone get positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday 7 to 9 with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THCD. You want more open mics? Fridays 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. Hey, comedy fans, don't miss Comedy Day Sunday, September 16th at Robin Williams Meadow in Golden Gate Park, noon till 5. It's free. You'll see 44 or more comedians. 44 comedians, five hours. That's over eight and a half comedians an hour. That's silly. Ever see a half a comedian? Yes, a half wit. Not funny, but Comedy Day will be a guaranteed laugh a minute. Let's see, a laugh a minute times five hours. That's 300 jokes. That's a lot of jokes, folks. <laughs> 
So why are these people laughing? I don't know. Maybe because they know Comedy Day will be better than the shoelaces of Madagascar exhibit. Better than the paperweight wares of the World Convention. Flat black plastic people on muniradio.fm. We're just getting this in over the line. This is the regional program. Here is the fourth news, copyright reserved. The German wireless announced tonight the German government's reply to a British communication and gave the German government's proposals for a 